This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. Let's start with BC cancer patients being yeah. sent to Bellingham, quite Washington the, for treatment. Wow. <laughs> yeah, this is out of the blue. Uh, sort of a good news, bad news type thing. Good news is there's 2,400 people, 50 people a week are going to be offered quicker ca- uh, access to um, radiation treatment. Yeah. All expenses paid trip to Bellingham for five days because it's usually five four or five um, radiation treatments through the course of the week. Bad news is this just reflects the fact that our cancer system, our treatment system seems to have been overrun. I mean, partly, and you had a doctor on, Dr. Hogue, I think, earlier. Dr. Chris Hogue, yeah. Yeah, talking about how this has been building for years. Yeah. Um, everyone's predicted that the boomer generation, as it moves into retirement, gets older. Um, the bulge of people who are in their 70s and 80s is bigger than it's ever been. Yeah. And the argument is... Could this not have been foreseen many years ago and steps taken? But you have to hire people to treat people. And that's part of the problems, the ongoing problems, is the swelling of people in age groups that are accessing the healthcare system in greater numbers than ever before. Then you pile onto that the human resource problem where we don't have enough people, whether it's doctors or nurses or technicians in this case, radiologists, uh, to treat people. So it's a, it, and this is probably going to get worse. Uh, in the short term, as the boomer generation really overwhelms the healthcare system. Health Minister Adrian Dix kind of framing this as, well, this is a temporary stopgap measure as they build up capacity here in, in B.C., mm-hmm. but this could go on for a long time. Yeah, right now it's set for two years. Wow, it could that's end a long soon. Time. It's a long time. It's, so that's 4,800 people. Wow. And, and, and again, one th- there's, in the last year, 14,300 people in B.C. required radiation treatments for cancer. Yeah. Uh, that number is expected to grow by 1,000 through the course of this next two years. So, again, the good news is you're taking, you're offloading pressure from the system onto Bellingham, which should shorten the wait times here in BC. On the other hand, uh, the population continues to grow significantly, and the aging population, the, the proportion of people who are aging, continues to grow. And that's going to put enormous, and then we just don't have enough staff. You know, the. Uh, the health ministry says they have to uh, hire 38,000 people over the next five years just to maintain status quo. I mean, that's that's a huge amount of people. And again, with the anticipated population bulge, you got uh, rising immigration levels. Uh, The boomer generation, as I say, is a very robust demographic that is going to be overwhelming the healthcare system. And it's just, you know, there's so many moving parts that just can't uh, keep pace with each other. This is the right thing to do. I mean, if you you are sick yourself or you have a loved one who's got cancer and they're on this waiting list for care, I'd be saying, pack your bags. Let's let's go to Bellingham and and get the care that you need. So I, I do think it is the right thing to do. But as Dr. Hogue pointed out to me, my first guest this morning is, look, this is the wait list for care. There's also a wait list for diagnostic Diagnostic, services for cancer. Okay. Before you even get on the the second waiting list for care. So there's a waiting list for that. There's a waiting list for all kinds of other diseases and and afflictions. One of the outcomes or byproducts of the pandemic is for about a year, healthcare disappeared for many people. 
you didn't have access to the system. Your, your family doctor wasn't seeing There people. may have been more undiagnosed there, cancer. I know of personal experience of people who were undiagnosed for a year, and they, they were diagnosed late because they could not access the health care so That system. creates a bubble then. It creates a bubble, yeah. and there's a lag effect. So yeah. we're seeing part of that play out as well. Let's listen to Shirley Bond here. This is the official opposition health critic, the BC United MLA. She was on earlier this morning, and here's what she had to say. Instead of expediting a process that sees us bringing those medical professionals to British Columbia, what is this government doing? Sending British Columbians out of the country instead of welcoming internationally educated medical graduates to British Columbia. So, of course, it's ironic. Yeah, they had been calling for fast-tracking foreign-trained doctors to come into British Columbia to deal with the demand here, including American-trained doctors who have, in some cases, have a tough time getting certified to practice here. Oh, yeah. And now we're sending our patients there to be oh, treated there. There's a great irony there, to yeah. say the least. Yeah, the, so the push has been on to, to get, and steps are being taken, but they're maddeningly slow to get foreign-trained doctors up and running and practicing in BC. And there's a lot of players here, including the College of Physicians and Surgeons. I mean, there's professional colleges that have to sign up in this. You've got federal government rules and provincial government rules. It's been a frustratingly slow process to get a lot of these professionals up and, and practicing in BC. Okay, so the opposition will obviously tee off on this and say, this, is a, this isn't, we told you this was a problem. We warned you this was could happen. But... You know, Shirley Bond, she's a former health minister herself. I mm-hmm. seem to recall that the, when the Liberals were in power way back when, that they, they faced crunch times as well. Uh, oh. You know, I mean, and sent people, people out of the province for care. Yeah, and hallway medicine. We've done sure. stories like this for years. I mean, there was, there was a, back in 06, 07, I think, we had to send 100 difficult pregnancy uh, wow. patients to Bellingham. Uh, to, to give birth, where we just didn't have the capability in BC to handle yeah. those. So this is not patients. unprecedented. Well, I, it's not unprecedented, but I think the scope is unprecedented. We're talking 2,400 people in one year, 4,800 people in two years. That, I think, is unprecedented. Let's talk about decriminalization of drug possession, which continues to, to fester here for the government as a political mm-hmm. issue, especially when you've got local municipal mayors and councils saying, like, look, we don't want open drug use in parks yep. and school and school playgrounds after they do decriminalize drug possession. And David Eby is really under pressure to do something about this. Here he is speaking in, in question period on this point, then I'll get your thoughts. Here's Eby. And our government is treating it seriously. Uh, with a commitment through everything we do to work with partners to address any unintended consequences. Our government will work with uh, local government partners to make sure that those protections are in place. Nobody wants this activity uh, affecting our kids, and we will do something. We will do something, he said there at the end. Something seems to be coming here. I mean, he also opened the, the week before that clip ran, uh, in the previous question period, he talked about, for the first time, he mentioned that the decriminalization thing was an experiment, yeah. suggesting if it wasn't working, we'd go back. So I think the government is revisiting its position on this, that the, the Liberals, or the BC United, uh, signed Oh, up, there you, there you, you go. made the mistake. Put now. a quarter in the jar. Here okay. we go. Um <laughs> When they were in uh, on the committee that signed off on this, yeah. uh, they point out they signed off on supporting this if there were so-called guardrails in place. Yeah. And their argument is the guardrails are not in place. And the government seems to be slowly coming around to the position maybe there aren't guardrails in place. So I think you're going to see the government revisit its position on decriminalization. And Evie's dropping broad hints 
that, yeah, sympathetic with these municipalities saying no dr- open drug use in parks and playgrounds. So what could they do? Off the table. Could they potentially flip-flop in the whole thing and say, well, these possession of these drugs is criminalized again? Well, when he talked about this being an experiment, and then yeah. he just in that clip he just ran, uh, talked about unintended consequences. Yeah. I think they're opening the door here to, to a shift in policy. Or or bring or at least bring in a provincial law that, okay, possession is decriminalized, but you can't use drugs in a park. Yeah, I'm not sure if you have to check into this. Can they do that through regulation, which would not mm. require legislation? Okay. Or if you need legislation, well, the house is gone. We're not we're not sitting here until uh, late October, so they have to. And I think the the pressure's on in the summer, which is when you've got people using parks and playgrounds more than the winter. Okay, let's let's end on the on the very sad news that your longtime colleague Deborah Hope from Global had pa- passed away now at age sixty seven, and a lot sad. of people would know that she was suffering from Alzheimer's mm-hmm. disease and had been in a nursing home, and we got the news yesterday that she had passed away. Um, well known to all the listeners, I'm sure. Let's listen to your, your former colleague here, Tony Parsons, global news anchor here, talking about the passing of Deb Hope. She had no errors about her. She was honest about what she was reporting. She was a digger. She went out and she looked for stories and she would come back with the best angles you could ever think of. She was just really, really good at her job. Your thoughts? Yeah, so I started with BCTV in 95 and Deb Hope was basically someone I suddenly encountered and worked with very closely right off the bat. And we hit it off. We were very tight, um, had really good chemistry. And Tony Parsons is right. I mean, for all the giggling, buoyant personality that Deb was, she was an incredible journalist. She was a really, she was a journalist journalist. She had a great nose for news. And her judgment was unparalleled on what really was a story, but also a story that people could relate to. She had no time for really... um, you know, insider baseball stuff, stuff that was only of interest to the elite kind of thing, yeah. the special interests. She wanted to stories that were about the common person. And she brought you down and insisted you focus your journalism on that. And so she was, and Tony made a very good point. She was a real digger. And she really was hands-on. I mean, she didn't write every minute. Of course, she had producers, great producers in the new news, uh, and the five and the six. But she wanted, she questioned everything. You know, uh, you just you couldn't let it slide. You couldn't take an easy route with Deb. When I I did probably several thousand live hits with her, every one of them you were put to the the Deb Hope sniff test. You had to sell it to her, and if you weren't selling it to her in terms of an issue that people could relate to, you weren't going to get on. So, and she was a lovely person, absolutely marvelous, warm, engaging personality. And she was, I think, Squire made the point in his story last night that the Deb you saw on the air is actually the Deb Hope, the real yeah. Deb Hope. There's no artificial. Right. She would actually lose it on the air in terms of laughing yes. and giggling. Yeah. Uh, she couldn't help herself because that was her. That was the way she was Lovely off woman. the air as well. Lovely yeah. woman. Very, very sad, uh, especially for her family, her friends. Yeah, Roger Hope, great husband, one of our great yeah. cameramen, and her her family um, have been struggling, you know, have had to deal with this for a number of years. And, yeah. and um, Alzheimer's is such an awful, awful disease. Yeah. This yeah. really is. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. 
Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's Baldry's Beat. Let's go right to your phone calls here. Susan and Burnaby. Hi, Susan. Go ahead. Hi. Thanks for doing this segment. Um, condolences to her family. So I work in a care home, and I am naturally attracted to the elderly. But one day I noticed this youngish uh, woman walking around, and she had so much energy, and she, I don't know, just a great aura about her. And I found out later it was Deb. Mm-hmm. You know, because she didn't look like Deb, right? The hair color was different, no makeup. But, man, we had to have an employee with her at all times because she just would not stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what what a shame. And I guess you do know it's um, genetic, right? Her father had also um, passed away from early onset um, Alzheimer's. Susan, thank you for the call. Well, good to hear she was still exuberant in the care home because yeah. she was certainly exuberant at work. I mean, yeah. she was kind of the den mother of the newsroom, um, always looking after people, being a real strong mentor, particularly to young women. Sophie Louie talked about it on the air last night, about just how pivotal role she played in the careers of many young women in journalism. Yeah. It's an inspiration for a lot of people. George in Nanaimo. Hi, George. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, good morning, guys. I've never ceased to be amazed at the hypocrisy of the NDP. I just remember Adrian Dix and them fighting Dr. Day tooth and nail to um, all the way to the Supreme Court, and he's making the exact same points that Brian Day has made for years about the wait times. Like a little girl when they finally rejected his last appeal. It's just terrible. Okay, thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, this is a government that has fiercely fought any kind of privatization, creeping yeah. privatization of the system. And these are offloaded to two private clinics. In now Bellingham. we're sending them to private hospitals in the United States. Now we're home of two tier medicine. So we've never stopped contracting with private clinics. Yeah, that's always been there. Um, like we continue to contract with, with private clinics all the time. I mean, they, they do the bulk of the work when it comes to workers' compensation or WorkSafe BC, RCMP, military, ICBC cases. A lot of them are farmed out to private clinics. What's unusual about this, it's, and again, we've sent patients to Bellingham before. We've just never done it on this scale. This is what's unprecedented. I was just, I was looking up some of the background of these hospitals where we're sending these patients. So the North Cascade Cancer Center in Bellingham, Washington is a private for-profit company. Yep. The other one I understand, looking at their websites, is non it's a not-for-profit. Oh. Okay, so one, one, it appears to me, just in the quick research I've been able to do here this morning, one appears to be a not-for-profit hospital down there the other one appears to be a for-profit mm. operation so I, I don't know i like we talked earlier about the irony of doing this early. definitely irony i mean there, there is good news in this is that you've got you know 2400 people are going to get access or they yeah. really get access to radiation quicker than, than well right. it's the right thing to do yeah it, but it's again it's reflective that we've got a really vulnerable system that's not yeah. keeping pace with demand yeah doug in surrey hi doug go ahead 
Guys, I can remember when I retired 10 years ago at age 65, I had to go to UBC Dental College to get some teeth work done. I had root canal extractions, a whole new set of dentures, the whole ball game. I was treated by a chap who owned his own clinic in, in Baghdad in Iraq. He was recognized as a dentist in Europe. He had two college-age daughters and a wife, and he moved them out here to UBC uh, to go through four years to be certified by our standards. And this chap was in his mid-50s. He was being examined by people young enough to be his kids or, or not a whole lot older. And he st- spent four years. There was people fleeing the province because they couldn't, and they were getting nickel and dimed to death by the Gordon Campbell regime. And as a result, he now owns his own clinic back in, in Ontario out by Air Force at Camp Borden. And this man was accomplished when he got here. But they talk about... The uh, the shortage of uh, physicians and dentists and everybody else out here, it's because the Gordon Campbell regime was so bloody cheap. To, well, anyway, we won't get into the details. Okay, D- Doug, thank you for the call. I'm just uh, Yeah, well, the issue of for, foreign-trained doctors, I mean, it's, a, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's not a new issue. It's been around a while, but I think the pressure is on governments and colleges, professional colleges, to expedite uh, the ability of foreign-trained professionals to practice their, their work in Canada. I think it, you're going to see more pressure in the years ahead.